All right. G'day, everyone. I'm live. I'm home and live. I'm going to say back in the sunshine on the beaches and the palm trees, but it kind of was barley as well. So same, 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 but different. We were discussing, actually, Charlotte and I, when we were in Bali, we have gone to some very, very nice places lately. Some very, very nice places lately. Partly because of, like, when we all got locked down in Australia and we couldn't go overseas, we're like, oh, well, let's just go and see, like, all the best things we can see in Australia. And now, of course, we can go overseas again, and we kind of got used to going to nice places. So that's where we ended up. But we're discussing, like, in the realm of nice places... Incidentally, if this should be a blog post one day, you know, the nicest places that where you've gone to, let me know. I still think it is hard to go past Aussie places for various reasons. One of the big ones being the price of wine in Bali. Holy shit. Someone should have told me about that. Crikey. Wow. Uh, Wayne, morning. Still need a gap as you hit live and start. Can you explain what you mean by that, that Wayne? Did I did I hit the button too soon? Did I hit the button too late? Should I watch this back later and figure it out? Anyway, back to holidays. <laughs> we are blessed in Australia, not just in terms of the, the you know the landscape and the beaches and all that sort of stuff, but we just have some epic places. And as lovely as everyone was in Bali, and they were lovely, lovely people. There's something about, and Charlotte and I have had this discussion many times lately, given that we have been to a lot of different places around the world, but there is something about the hospitality in Australia which just, at least to our brains, just nails the uh, the professionalism, but the friendliness and the down-to-earthness. And I think what I mean by that, and we'd said this before we went to Bali, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Asia, i spent years living in Asia, but you go to a lot of places in Asia and it feels very um, extraordinarily polite to the point that you almost feel a bit awkward. Or a lot of the time we'd spend time in the US and it was very much sir and ma'am and and then you go somewhere really nice here and it's g'day, how you doing, Troy and Charlotte and... And what can we do to help you? And all the politeness and and how can we make this stay awesome? But you kind of end up going, do you want to just sit down and have a beer? Because <laughs> you know? it's just lovely, lovely service here. Uh, now, that said, we're going to get out and about a lot more now that we can actually go to other places in the world. Uh, in fact, I was looking at my trip today, and I think it was like 40-something days from now, we'll be going back to Europe. So... We will be heading back in, uh, when is it, later in November. And we'll be obviously in Norway for a bunch of time. We'll be in Sweden. We'll be in Denmark. We'll be in Finland. And we'll be in Singapore, <laughs> just to mix it all up a bit. So if you're in one of those places, Nick 007's in London. G'day, London. Wayne, there is a delay. When you hit live, it says live. It takes 20 seconds before we see you. Now, 20 seconds is about the delay that I get from me talking here to you appearing there. So when you're listening to me right now, I'm actually saying something else, and I don't know what it's going to be because 20 seconds in the future. So the, the way it works, just for everyone knows, uh, I use uh, YouTube, obviously. <laughs> you're watching me on YouTube. And OBS. And you set up YouTube, and you go, hey, I want to go live at a certain time, and you schedule it. You get a stream key, put the stream key in OBS. 
OBS, you can start streaming to YouTube, and I see the little picture here from like 20 seconds ago, and then when I'm ready, I click the go live button, but I'm never quite sure, am I going live with what's on YouTube or going live with what's on OBS? I'll watch it back later. It all works out eventually. Speaking of those things, because YOLO, uh, I decided to try and fix the fluttering sound of my audio about 15 minutes before starting this live stream, which meant updating software, trying to update drivers, but then on the Focusrite website, you, you click on download drivers and you get a PDF. So I'm not quite sure how that works. I know that there's still a little bit of background noise. I think it improved from the rudimentary testing I just did after updating some Focusrite software. Um, now, incidentally, Nick007, I also got a notification at about 8.03 local. I've got no idea where you are, so it doesn't mean much to me. Local time, but saw your tweet a couple of minutes before. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll look into that. <laughs> I'll try and work it out. I don't know. At least you know it's not too orchestrated and it's organic. If I was orchestrated, it would be more organized. Anyway. So I'm still trying to sort this out. I think one thing I might try uh, is I'm trying to figure out, was it the YouTube, was it OBS, was it something else? And I think I've figured out it's, it's way upstream, and I think it might just be a bit of background noise now. So I'm going to look at maybe dropping in a filter to cancel out some of that background noise in OBS. But uh, from my testing before... Give me a moment of silence so you can hear that. I was hard, starting to have to really crank up the volume to hear any background noise. Anyway, let me jump into it. The usual stuff. Sponsor this week is Collide again, which is fantastic. Collide has been awesome this year. Collide can help you nail third-party audits and internal compliance goals with endpoint security for your entire fleet. Learn more via the link on the blog. Uh, this is all about setting compliance goals. We're going to talk about compliance today, actually with passwords employees make them happen helping employees helps security so uh, go and check out collide they have been a fantastic sponsor and, and that is uh as i've said many times the support from people like collide really helps me do what i do which is not just like going on holidays to cool places i spent a lot of my holiday doing work i tell you what I'll talk about that in a moment too uh, but it also allows me to create content like this uh, as opposed to going and getting a real job, which is lovely. Ah, okay, on to things. I did have a list, and then I had to restart my computer <laughs> because I updated software. Um, just while I'm, I'm loading this, and it's not a lot today anyway, but uh, I mentioned doing a lot of work while I was away. The, the Optus data breach thing here in Australia has just been, it's just been totally nuts, totally nuts. And I talked a lot about it last week while I was away. And I think I sort of got most of it across there. But as the dust kind of settles on all this stuff a week later, uh, for those of you who missed it, in a nutshell, Optus, second largest telco in Australia, massive organisation, uh, about 10 or 11 million people caught up in the data breach, including Scott Helm, because he got an Optus SIM card when he came here for my wedding. Good luck, Scott. And... About 20% of those people, so about 2 million people, had their driver's license number and or their passport number and or their Medicare number, which is our government healthcare service, exposed in the breach. And it, it's fascinating for all sorts of reasons. And it got way more press than a data breach of that size has any right to get. I mean, it's only like 10 or 11 million. It's not even like 
it's a fraction of the size of Ashley Madison, let alone LinkedIn or Dropbox, let alone MySpace in terms of breaches. But the, the it's just it just somehow all the stars align to amplify it. Everything from just atrociously bad messaging from the company to the CEO saying stupid shit. Um, uh, shout out to Talk Talk. Everyone remembers that. Very similar to the Dido Harding sort of stuff. Uh, Nick 007 and others in London would remember that. And then there was a ransom and then they started dumping data and then the hacker removed the post and the data and said sorry and went to his bedroom to think about what he'd done uh, and then other people reposted it. And then the things that are really, really interesting on a longer-term basis, I think, is this like massive retention of data well beyond its purpose or well beyond its useful purpose, i.e. 20 years after someone was no longer a customer. But also one would argue in excess of what was ever required. And then this other whole discussion about are we really that worried about driver's licenses and passport numbers because are they, should they be that useful for actually going and getting a loan or a tax return? Why are we dependent on numbers alone, or numbers with a bit of other data, in order to somehow prove your identity? This is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So we'll, we'll see if anything changes. Lots of talk in the news at the moment about stuff has to change, there needs to be an inquiry, the Prime Minister's been on the TV, we're not sure who he is because we have so many of them, but he seemed to be upset about the whole thing. Uh, so it's just been like massive, massive, massive press here. And in other parts of the world as well, I've done media interviews for countries that have got nothing to do with Australia, but it's like somehow this has ended up in their news. So I did spend a lot of time doing that last week and even into this week, even today I did a podcast on this. And it's kind of fascinating how much traction it got. Uh, so that was that was my honeymoon. <laughs> that was part of my honeymoon. <laughs> uh, okay, so I did have some stuff on here while we're uh, while we're getting on the high horse about this is not how the world should be. Password rotation. Now I did not expect the level of traction that this tweet got, but by way of background, and this was not in the tweet. This is the bonus content you get <laughs> by listening to this video. Yesterday, I had one of these emails from Microsoft, who I don't work for. <laughs> Thank you very much. Microsoft Regional Director without a region, not directing anything and not getting paid by them. But anyway, uh, easy mistake to make. I got a, an email about my uh, Microsoft 365 Active Directory tenant for TroyHunt.com, and it's like, look, go in and check your security score and there's some things you can tweak. Anyway, I went in there and... One of the things I thought was was quite interesting, and I already had this enabled, was you, you get this score, like a out of 100 kind of score, and I had a plus 14.29% bump. It's very specific. Because I had enabled do not expire passwords. And there's a little thing here. It says status completed. And then it goes down, and there's a description. I'll read this to you. It's short. Research has found that when periodic password resets are enforced, passwords become less secure. Users tend to pick a weaker password and vary it slightly for each reset. I sure as hell did when I worked in the corporate world. <laughs> Just keep adding one. What did I get up to? I think I got up to like 23 or something. If a user creates a strong password, long, complex, and without any pragmatic words present. Prag 
What's a pragmatic word? Anywho, it should remain just as strong in the future as it is today. It is Microsoft's official security position to not expire passwords periodically without a specific reason. Now, this is not them, but this is me. So, for example, suspicion of compromise. Uh, it has appeared somewhere. It's in pwned passwords or whatever. And recommends that cloud-only tenants set the password policy to never expire. User impact moderate implementation cost low. It's like literally just a little toggle. Now, um, I shared this and then went about my business and thought that would be it. It has had 680,000 impressions. <laughs> and this, how long ago did I do this? This was, uh, this is six minutes short of 24 hours ago. So that's impressive. 916 retweets, 5,323 likes, uh, 325. It just ticked over. There you go. <laughs> Someone else just seen it. So it's enormously, enormously popular. Huge amount of engagement. I got up this morning. Normally I get up in the morning and I use TweetDeck. Which one is it? TweetBot. Because it has something in it that the native Twitter app really should do, which is I can scroll through to a certain point in my mentions, go to bed, come back the next day, and it's still there. also syncs with my iPad, which is nice. But normally I have like 30 mentions or something overnight, and I flick through them in the space of five minutes over my coffee, and that's it. Go down this morning, there's like nearly 300, which is insane. So it's had a huge amount of engagement. Now, I'll talk more about this in a moment. I'm just knowing some of the comments. Lance says, uh, afternoon for a very wet Sydney, bring a snorkel to NDC Sydney. Actually, that's a good point. I will be, Charlotte and I will be at NDC Sydney next week, which uh, which is great. And for I think some of you know, Charlotte used to be an organiser of NDC. That's how we know each other now. She's an organiser, literally, of TroyHunt.com. <laughs> so it's nice to get back to these events together because we've got loads and loads of common friends. I'm going to be doing the party talk Thursday night, which is great because it's not recorded. And I can say all sorts of shit, which normally I wouldn't do in a recorded talk. And it's fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. And, and I sort of thought I saw a message from you somewhere, Lance, about you being there. So come say good day on Thursday. Martin says, yeah, I heard from New South Wales-based colleagues. It's a bit damp down there it's a rain rate i say is it messy oh yeah yeah <laughs> looking at the video it's just like blue every it looks like it's passing but yeah that's that's a bit messy back to the password thing now there were loads and loads of comments there and i, I think the reason why this got so much traction is because people were like yes i knew this was shit and now Microsoft is saying it. And I, what kind of surprised me a bit is that this is not new news. Like, this has been out there for so long. In fact, it was five years ago I wrote a blog post about authentication involved, uh, password practices for the modern era. And mandated password rotation and getting rid of it was one of the things I picked up on it. And as Nico has just said here in the comments, that was a NIST recommendation. Not just a NIST recommendation, but even in 2017, it was a Microsoft recommendation and an NCSC, National Cybersecurity Centre in the UK, recommendation. And what I really liked about this blog post is just inverting a lot of the security premise that we had lived with for so long, uh, namely mandated password rotation, and also uh, arbitrary password complexity criteria, uppercases, lowercases, numbers, etc. Both those things are terrible. 
They made more sense at one point in the past. They don't make any sense at all now. So, moving forward, it was quite interesting to see all the comments. And I would say it was definitely 90-something percent supportive. And I'm going to go like 95% plus supportive. And then there's just a, a little bit of sentiment there from a couple of people that was sort of counter to all this. It's kind of quite funny because someone's like, oh, I'd like to see the studies based around this. Oh, yeah, yeah, Google. So they've been there for ages. This is empirical data as well. We, we know empirically, because it's very easy to track, that people do make very slight variations to their passwords when they're forced to change it. Now, if you were to obtain someone's password and it was Troy at Pfizer 17 <laughs> and that didn't work, one might presume that you'd try Troy at Pfizer 18 or Troy at Pfizer 19 because that's a, you know this is what people do. So um, we have a lot of empirical data about that. And what we've really started to recognize over the years is that security as it relates to password strength is about a lot more than entropy. And particularly as we look at things like arbitrary password complexity criteria, this was the original argument. The original argument was entropy, because if you're all lowercase, you've got 26 different possible characters. If you force someone to have at least one uppercase, well, now every position has 52 possible characters. And then if you force numbers, it's 62. And then if you force non-alphanumeric characters, depending on which ones you allow, it's like 70 plus. And mathematically, this is great. Because if you now randomly generate every single character in every position of that password that must be at least eight characters long, you have a lot of entropy because you've got a lot of space that it could occupy. Uh, and that's fantastic for every human that acts like a random number generator, <laughs> which, which of course they don't. So we end up with the first character capitalized and a one and then an exclamation mark at the end and character substitution, all this predictable stuff. And we know this empirically because we have so much access to data. So this is why it's been chucked out many years ago, and it's gradually filtering through to different things. Now, I saw a bunch of people, and I sort of loaded this tweet up a little bit because I said, uh, who out there still works somewhere that forces rotation because reasons? Knowing that it's lots of people, and I thought, oh, I'll get lots of interest in it now. And it will make some fun discussion because I was, I don't really get bored, but I was, I was curious. Not knowing it would get as much as it actually did. The naysayers picked up on a few things. So number one, they go, you know, I'd like to see some stuff. Yeah, it's all out there. Don't worry about that. Uh, the other thing is they said, well, it, it still protects you on compromise, right? So it still protects you if someone else gets the password. Understanding that there are no absolutes in here, i.e. protects, doesn't protect, but rather there are lots of different factors and circumstances. There are several really key things here. So number one is what I just mentioned. When you mandate rotation, people fall back to very predictable patterns. And when you see that number on the end, there's a good chance you can add a one or two or three and you're going to get the right password that's present now, even if the one compromised was from several passwords ago. So that erodes the usefulness of rotation. The other thing is, you're making an assumption that the password is exposed at a point in time after it has been changed. 
And, and often I talk about passwords and I sort of say, you know, can you imagine like a hacker gets your password, but they're busy and they've got stuff on and they really need to spend time with the kids and they'll get back to it in 90 days. It's like, no, they're going to take the password and abuse it straight away. So the gap you have is, well, yes, but if the password got exposed and then time passed by and you had changed it, it's no longer useful except for the problem just mentioned, which is that it's predictable anyway. But also, if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, it was interesting how many different answers I got in here about people saying they have to change it yearly, every 90 days, every month. If it's that useful and it works that well, make people change it every week. Stuff them, you know. It's like if we're going to mess with their productivity and try and drive them nuts through black anti patterns, it's like, geez, just like make it a nasty, nasty experience. We don't do that because it is a nasty, nasty experience. So the argument of pushing rotation because it somehow helps and somehow magically the correct answer is either one month, 90 days or one year, it's, it's, it's basically just sticking your finger in the air and guessing. The other thing is, and, and one of the reasons why we get advice like this, is that there are many, many, many other mitigating controls now that we didn't have at the time where we used to just rotate these things uh, on a regular basis. So, for example, we've got near ubiquitous transport layer security, and this is within internal networks as well. Of course, there are still other ways that your password can get exposed, but grabbing it on the wire is now a very, very different risk to what it is even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Think about, depending on how old you are, when was the first time you worked somewhere that forced you to change a password? Might have been three decades ago. The other thing is, is that we have MFA. And we didn't have much MFA not that long ago. I tell you what, when I worked at Pfizer, definitely had no MFA to log in. And that was only seven years ago. So seven years ago, there was no second factor to log in on-premise. There was if we VPNed in, we had a hardware token, which is fishable. But uh, MFA is something which is now very, very mainstream. In fact, one of the things I have enabled on my o o O365, Microsoft 365 tenant, is that everyone in the organization, <laughs> which is the two of us, must have multi-factor authentication turned on. Fantastic. Even if they get the password without being able to get the multi-factor token as well, you can't get in. So this old model has really fundamentally changed. One of the other arguments that people made is they said, well, if you're using a password manager, it doesn't matter because you can just regenerate it. This is true for a website. It's not true for logging on to your PC. If you have to type in a password in order to unlock the PC such that you can get to the password manager, then the password manager isn't providing any value. The only place it provides value, and this does happen to me occasionally because I can't remember my Windows password, and I'll explain why in a moment, but I'll pop open the password manager on my mobile device and I'll read the password. It is something that I can read and type in. The reason I can't remember it is because I've got fingerprint reader and fingerprint reader on PC and laptop. Uh, and I fingerprint reader my way into the whole thing. Occasionally, if I do need to type in a password more frequently, i.e. the fingerprint reader on this one's dropped off at the moment, I can have a pin. And before you lose your minds about a pin, the pin only works on this machine. You must have this machine. It is not a simple pin. 
I had a lot of trouble remembering it. <laughs> so it's another sort of mitigating control here. And, and to that effect, when we talk about the usefulness of rotation as well, the fact that I do so rarely have to type the password in, I've dramatically reduced the number of times someone can shoulder surf, possibly catch it on the wire if there was an encryption somewhere, possibly log it somewhere if it was the wrong thing to do. We're now at the point where I very, very rarely actually enter the password. So forcing rotation on something which is now much less exposed makes less sense than what it did before. Look at the comments here. Uh, Lance won't be at NDC. Wish there was a pub, a pun conf, a pub conf in Sydney. I thought I saw you, but maybe I saw you mention something else. Uh, no, there's not a pub conf in Sydney. Um, uh, I think largely because Todd Gardner's not here. Would have been fun, I agree. It's been a while since I've done PubConf. I got in trouble the last one I did. That's in my book. <laughs> By the way, it's a, not in trouble from Pub. I got in trouble from someone else because it's 2022. Actually, it was 2019 then, but you get the idea. Nick007, with password rotation, I work for a large, famous Aussie company. Every now and then, this pops up into our internal message boards. The response is always, that's the way it is. God, can you imagine all the other things in society where for the longest time, that was the way it was? And I'm not even going to mention them because it will cause trouble. But just think about the most recalcitrant things that we look at now and for many, many years, decades, centuries, it was like, that's the way it is. It will change, but it's slow. Luke says, window domain complexity requirements considers password123 a sufficiently complex password. Well, there's no not alphanumeric in that. What you've got to do is you've got to change the A in password to an at, and you're good to go. Uh, where are we? Uh, Lance, Lance is... Uh, Heading to Bathurst. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Bathurst is this weekend, isn't it? I should watch some of that. That'd be good. Luke says, many people change their password frequently and they'll just start uh, storing it insecurely. It might be the posting note thing. I I think there's there's somewhat of an argument to say that in certain circumstances, the posting note is not as bad as what we have made it out to be before. If it was my mum and dad putting a posting note on a PC at home in their premises, and it gave them a way of having unique, strong passwords. It is a different story to posting it on your monitor in your place of work. Uh, ideally, password manager. Dale E says, we have so many policies required for security. One is we have to be connected to the company VPN, but it's not a full tunnel, so I'm not sure what the point of it is. Martin uh, agrees. Yeah, I don't get split tunnels either. Uh, MS used to recommend for SFB to get around the quality issues, but from a security point of view, it's not great. So a split tunnel is where you'll have some things going over your VPN, say to your place of work, and other things going out over the clear net. Look, that may be because there are resources that you want to access in the corporate environment, and then there are other resources which are public, and you don't need to go through the tunnel. Um, I, I can kind of see some arguments for that. Lance, so many orgs have worked for store rotating passwords, some more than others, and limited MFA options. So, you know, no FIDO, WebAuthn. I guess, particularly in the case like WebAuthn, these are relatively new technologies. That The thing that we've got to remember is the reason we still have passwords and the reason that so many people use them is that 
for all their faults, and there's a lot of faults, and for all the technical strengths of things like U2F keys, the thing that passwords does better than anything else is that everyone knows how to use them. The barrier to entry for passwords is extraordinarily low. Mum and dad, no problems with a password. My 10-year-old daughter, no problems with a password. She'd probably have no problems with a U2F key, actually, come to think about it. Other than the fact she'd have to keep it on herself and she loses stuff all the time. Uh, But explaining that to mum and dad and why that's necessary is, is a harder thing. So passwords do have, like, like, let's not beat up too badly on passwords. There is something that they do better than everything else. Cryokami says, personally, I'm not a big fan of fingerprint readers as a standalone solution. They're usually not entirely standalone. They are usually there with a fallback position. Good example, I spend a lot of time in the water here because Gold Coast. <laughs> and sometimes I spend too much time in the water. You come out, your fingers are all wrinkly fingerprint reader doesn't work we have all been in circumstances in recent years where we've been wearing masks uh face id often doesn't work depending on how you configure your eye thing so you usually fall back if you were going down a direction of you can't change your fingerprints if they get compromised yada 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 i vehemently disagree with that there is a blog post search for me troy hunt biometrics explains why Nick007, we even have laptops that have facial recognition, can do Windows Hello. So Windows Hello uses a combination of the camera uh, and an IR sensor as well. Laptops have fingerprint readers, but they aren't bloody security compliant approved. So one of the, the constant themes that came through in the responses to this tweet was because compliance, uh, because SOC, because PCI. And that's a, that's a big ship to turn around to change that way of thinking and we've all done things because compliance i guess more progressive organizations are trying to take the view that the objectives of compliance need to actually be achieved by the controls that they put in place <laughs> you know so this is why compliance becomes such a dirty word i've still got the uh I've still got the Collide website uh, open here. Set compliance goals, employees make them happy. <laughs> you know, like stuff that is achievable and practical. And when you get to a point where there are compliance goals that are counterintuitive, then change the compliance. Like, okay, it is harder if it's a regulatory regime. Someone mentioned HIPAA. I'm not sure if HIPAA still requires mandated password rotation. If it does, there are other people that need to lobby and push the HIPAA folks to try and drive a change in that. But you are kind of subject to that if you need to be HIPAA compliant because you're in healthcare or whatever. If it is an internal process, and we had lots of internal compliance objectives in Pfizer, that is something that you can fix internally. And it might just be a matter of time and maybe you need to wait till you get a new compliance officer or a new CIO or something like that to drive it in a different direction. But you've got to lobby people on this because we know that it was a crap thing. It pissed people off. It didn't work too well. We've got better ways of doing it now. Luke says, to be fair, you can't dump the memory of a post-it note. <laughs> Someone made a comment uh, on the blog post which, or on the tweet, which I thought was quite funny, where they said, you know, this whole thing about mandated password rotation is really just uh, just a conspiracy theory from big post-it note. <laughs> it's like the post-it note industry wants to keep rotation alive because they sell a lot of post-it notes. Uh, 
Lance says most time fingerprints are combined with a device, something you are and something you have. Now, that's actually a fair point too. And in, to, so you're saying so to a degree that's a second factor of authentication because you can't necessarily take at least the digital representation of a fingerprint and then use that on another device. And we're starting to get out of my depth there in terms of what devices actually store on biometrics. Uh, but, yeah, if you have that device and my fingerprint, you can authenticate. Very good point. Rick DG says, passwords are shareable. That is both good and bad. Yep, 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 very good point. Let me talk about some data breaches. I caught up in a bit of backlog uh, this week and did load a couple of different data breaches, a couple of ones from other parts of the world, for me at least. Uh, one of them was Indonesian. I started loading this when I was in Bali. And I, I didn't consciously wait until I left the country to make it live, but it, it just worked out that way. And, uh, you know, you, you never know. That, that could have been advantageous. Bineka, B-H-I-N-N-E-K-A. Uh, it's an e-commerce site. had 1.3 million records breached in 2020. It was an older one. Uh, someone sent it to me more recently. I did find some references to it in years gone by as well in my list of things to do. It was just one of these ones that needed a combination of time and finding disclosure notice, which I did find that it was there in the press. Email and physical addresses, names, genders, dates of birth. Why do you need dates of birth for an e-commerce site? And genders. So they can wrap your present in a different color. Like, why, why would you request that for an e-commerce site? Anyway, uh, 83% of those were already in Have I Been Pwned? Now, the other one, this one went out today, much larger. It's a streaming service, much more new as well, Wakanim. Uh, that was breached in August this year. 6.7 million accounts are in that one. Email IP and physical addresses, names and usernames. I didn't see any passwords in that one. Only a third of them were already in Have I Been Pwned, which actually seems quite low, particularly given the Indonesian one, which is very... Uh, very localized had 83 percent anecdotally when i looked at a few of the accounts that the crossover seemed to be this other indonesian service tokopedia i think that's the right way to put it uh, which is also in have i been poem so maybe you've just got a lot of like people in both those services because they're both big things in indonesia but uh that um that wakanim one seemed pretty significant it looks like they just launched something recently uh, and interestingly as well, let me just read the disclosure. It's not the disclosure, no, it's the bit in the news here. It's owned by Sony. Sony-owned European streaming service announced last Thursday that it delayed the release of new content as it works on an issue. Now, this was posted uh, about a month ago. So it looks like disclosure only happened earlier this month. That was up on a popular data breach website, which now appears to be the de facto place for all things to be disclosed. It was put up there for sale. Someone appears to have uh, have sold it, at least that, that forum post says sold. Uh, someone sent it to me. I don't know if it was the person who bought it or the person who sold it or someone else who had it. Who knows? Definitely legit, though. I went through my usual verification process uh, and the accounts in the data bridge definitely exist on the service and not only that but the ones that are there on mailing ad addresses so public mailboxes when you do a password reset it sends you the username which matches perfectly with the ones in the data breach so 
what are the chances it's real? Extremely, extremely high. Okay. One last comment here. Cryokami. Someone can accidentally take a photo of a post-it, though. <laughs> Selfies will get you in the end. One of the talks I do on passwords has the guy from the Hawaiian Emergency Response Center. So remember a few years ago, they had that false alarm and all these people in Hawaii got critical alerts to their phone saying that there's like incoming missiles, which freaked everyone the hell out, understandably. And then they go and they interview this guy in his, in his little sock later on. And uh, one of the screens behind him has a post-it note. It says password and there's a password underneath it. Uh, and it, it happens, right? It happens all the time. Maybe less so now that we're getting rid of this stupid rotation thing. Anyway, we'll see how much more traction that gets over the coming days. That that seems to seems to have been one of my most popular tweets ever, very, very accidentally. Way more popular than my wedding tweet. Come on, man. That's a nice photo. Okay, with that, I'm going to end the stream now and go off and uh, do some other things. I'll come back to you. Might even be Saturday next week because I've got NDC. But I will have done an NDC. So thank you very much for watching, and I'll see you in either seven or eight days. Cheers, folks.